Now, talking about the weather, talking about the rain, it, it feels relentless, right? We are all in this state of emergency. Now, imagine having no roof over your head. Uh, whenever these sorts of events, whether it's a windstorm, a cold snap, uh, you know, the Arctic dome that descends, uh, I like to connect with our next guest, Sarah Blythe. She is the founder of the Vancouver Overdose Prevention Site and, and certainly an activist and someone who stands for those who are living uh, rough or living uh, below the poverty line and really have, have very little, if not nothing. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me again. So uh, let's begin yeah. with how we can how we can help. What's happening, and and how is how are things on the downtown east side on the in the area code that that struggles on a good day? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, you know, when we all go out in the rain and it's pouring rain, we want to get in and out of it. And just in speaking to people who are homeless on the downtown east side and just seeing how they're living with tents and tarps um, and and seeing the water sort of pouring in and around them. I can't imagine how anyone sleeps like that or, um, you know, how people function like that. So, uh, you know, we give out um, ponchos to people to try and get them so that they keep semi-dry and warm. Um, They're a dollar a piece, so it's not really, you know, uh, we can get lots of those and get them out. Um, But, I mean, we've got an emergency response centre uh, now, um, t- um, where we ha- collect items and then we get we disperse them when emergency events come up, which are which obviously is quite frequently now. And uh, but yeah. it's 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 still it's really sad. It's sad. It's sad here. Uh, you know, you see ambulances out. You see, uh, you know, it's not. Um, you know, you see um, more people dying and and or more people really sick and with COVID and. Everything else, it's just a disaster, really, for people. It is a perfect storm of of tragedy, indeed. Yeah. Uh, when when taking into consideration living already in a very stressful scenario, and then adding to it the state of emergency that is this relentless weather, uh, which could lead to using, which could le- lead to using alone or over medicating oneself to try and just avoid. Uh, how difficult all of this is. What can we do to to help and support you at the uh, overdose prevention site? Or what do you need? I mean, oftentimes during the rain, you tell me we just need dry socks. People need dry socks. Yeah, dry socks is important. But I think, you know, you could go to the dollar store and pick up, uh, you know, ponchos to deliver them to 99 uh, West Pender and, uh, and someone will take them in and make sure that they get out to people. Having a poncho is pretty good because you can pretty much cover yourself and your belongings as well, and at least it keeps people semi-dry, and the plastic actually keeps people warm. Um, So, you know, even garbage bags are are good, even a package of garbage bags, um, just so that people can keep their stuff um, uh, dry overnight. It's unbearable when it's so cold, um, obviously, uh, for folks. So. (laughs) <laughs> 90, you know, 99 like West Pender. Not, let's just get that out there. 99 West Pender. If you have something that will help someone, even one, drop it off at 99 West Pender. You'll never experience gratitude greater than walking through those doors, particularly if you happen to stop off at, I don't know, uh, your favorite coffee shop, p- pick one and get a big 
yeah. um, thermos full of hot chocolate or coffee and and drop off a little something to make the day a little warmer for people who have less. 99 West Pender is the place you will find uh, Sarah Blythe or her team, founder of the Vancouver Overdose Prevention Site. Before I let you go, I want to talk about the, the downtown east side artists. There are some yeah. unbelievable artists on the downtown east yeah. side. And they're, they've put together a collection of NFTs, these digital yeah. digital pieces of art. Explain yeah. what what those are about and, and where people can find out more. So on on uh, on December eighth uh, at OpenSea, where a lot of the NFTs are displayed, um, you can go and check out um, uh, Ken Foster Boy and Smokey's art. That you can actually get the the original, but also you get an NFT version, and um, and it's it's just a popular way in a currency that people are using right now. Um, uh, and it's it's a little bit you know it's a new thing and it's uh, I'm having a little bit of a hard time understanding the whole thing myself but it is uh, it's pretty pretty amazing that uh, these folks are getting into it and um, and you can check out what they're doing but Ken Foster I mean no one ha- doesn't have a Ken Foster in their house um, in Vancouver yeah. if you live in Vancouver know who he is so it's pretty exciting opportunity and I think. Um, uh, to get into crypto and learn about NFTs, if you check out OpenSea um, or HighHopes.ca, you will be able to uh, check out what they're doing and and how to get involved. And a lot of people uh, seem to know a lot about NFTs these days. It's a pretty popular thing um, on the online community to do with yeah, art. The kids dig it. No yeah, doubt about it. it is it is the it's the new print. It's owning that that footprint, that digital footprint of that yeah. art. Sarah Blythe, always a pleasure to chat with you. Okay. And again, if people want to help, ninety nine West Pender is where you drop off. You can just go to the dollar store, buy those ponchos to pick up some uh, clean, dry socks, like just tube socks, plain old ordinary socks. Think about people walking around with wet feet nonstop in this weather. Oh yeah, living no shoes, rough, right? whatever. So, yeah. yeah, let's help where we can. <laughs> if you have old coats that you don't wear, good quality coats that just hang in your closet and you always just file by them, here's your opportunity to to drop those off. 99 West Pender is the location. Uh, Sarah Blythe will happily Thank take you. that. And Thank you so much, Jody, as usual. You're so kind to have us on well, and, and to care about the community. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. Got to talk Whistler. Opening day was yesterday and Global BC anchor reporter Jordan Armstrong was there. In any mountain town, this is the sort of opening day they dream of. Enough snow that chairlifts have to be swept. It's going to be a good day. Going to shred the nerve. It's going to be a good time. To be completely honest, I'm pretty drunk still. So, you know, it's very very Whistler-esque, no doubt. So far, the crowd is steady, but the hills aren't packed. In terms of business, the forecast for the upcoming season is tough to predict. We do know that there is a lot happening in our province right now, so we happen to be in this very nice little oasis, and we're very, very thankful. The resort is hoping for a more normal year. No social distancing in lineups, and no checking for vaccine passports on gondolas. Opinion on that is mixed. Hopefully people will, will, you know, follow the rules and stuff themselves. I feel totally safe. I'm not bothered by it at all. It is no coincidence Whistler aims to open in time for U.S. Thanksgiving. I live in Madison, Wisconsin. I just moved to Seattle. American visitors, crucial for the local economy, but few showed up for opening day. I'm from Ottawa. Toronto, Ontario. Have you seen any Americans? 
Uh, no. According to Tourism Whistler, on a typical season, about 30% of visitors to town come from the U.S. We are anticipating that it's going to take some time for all of our international markets, including the United States, to rebound. Um, this year we're expecting U.S. visits to be down about 58% compared to a typical winter season. In the village, still quiet. Still lots of room at the inn. Woo! For small business owners like Diana Chan, it's been a tough two years. We've struggled. We need a season like we're hoping to have. Hope reinforced by the snow. These are loonies from the sky. Jordan Armstrong, Global News, Whistler. Now, there is a bit of controversy up at Whistler with regard to the vaccine cards and whether or not they should be shown before people get on the enclosed gondolas. John Koning is a Whistler resident, and he started a petition to ask that that be the case, and he joins me on the line now. John, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So lay it out for us. What is or is not happening uh, as people load up onto gondolas at Whistler Blackcomb? Well, as it was pointed out in the report, um, we're not as busy as usual because of, you know, the highway situation and the gasoline situation and everything. So it wasn't very crowded, but there was an example that kind of proves our point that uh, gondolas are an indoor space and we're often in there for a long time. A lift broke down yesterday uh, for two hours. Now, I'm not certain people are already in the lift. But that's the kind of thing uh, we're facing up to two hours in a small space like that. So where do people find your petition and what does it specifically ask for? Um, it's on change.org. And if you go to change.org and you look up Whistler Black Home and uh, vaccine passports, you should find it easily. And what we're asking for is um, uh, to show proof of vaccination to access the mount. That doesn't seem like a big ask. Why do you think that is not happening already? Um, quite frankly, uh, I can't explain it. It's inexplicable. Mm. It's, 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 a good, it's a good safety measure, but it's also a good business measure. I, I think more people will choose not to ski here because we don't have this safety uh, requirement and, and other than the people that will not be able to ski because they don't have a vaccine. Right. So to be clear, the restaurants on the mountain, to go into the restaurants anywhere on the hills, you must show a vaccine card. It's the gondola that's at issue here, right? Yes, you, you do. And that's, that's another difficulty because it takes a lot of extra staff to do check, checks at all the doors going into various restaurants and washrooms and things. All right. That's a really good point. If you did it at the gondola, if you did it at all entrances to the mountain, you wouldn't have to do it at the top of the mountain. John, thanks for taking some time out here and explaining it. Change.org. Uh, just look up Whistler Blackcomb Vaccine Passport. You can find the petition there if you're interested in signing it. And keep us updated on, on how that uh, continues to roll out and, and the gathering of steam, if you will, as now the mountains uh, are, are reopened. Yes, there's a lot of uh, ideas there. People are identifying themselves as having a vaccine by putting stickers on their helmets and things like that. Oh, I like that. As long as they can prove <laughs> yeah. it. Thanks for your time, yes. John. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. That Jody Vance with you. And uh, just before we get to our next guest, I want to reiterate what Mark Staling just said on AM 730 traffic's update there. Highway three closed again. That's a whole Princeton highway. A lot of people with the Coquihalla completely closed, obviously with the multiple devastating 
damaged uh, areas on the Coke. Um, Highway 3 is the way people are getting to and from with essential only travel, of course. Uh, Nobody's traveling for a weekend to the interior on Highway 3. And if you are planning to, please don't. Uh, But Highway 3 closed again in the Sunshine Valley area due to a multi-vehicle incident and a slide there and a mudslide. So that's between Hope and Princeton. Um, So keep it locked on here for updates. Again, we're going to have an update at 11 o'clock from Abbotsford Mayor Henry Braun, as well as 1130. uh, We'll get uh, the full flood response presser from uh, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth at 1130 today. And of course, if you need traffic updates, you can get them here, but as well on AM 730, our sister station, that uh, update there with Mark Staling uh, just grabbed my attention. And and I understand from looking a little bit deeper on AM 730's uh, Twitter feed, which is, by the way, an, an excellent follow. Uh, there's For those in the interior who, who use Highway 1 uh, near Chase, uh, that has been closed there. There's been a slide uh, on Highway 1 near Chase in the interior. So just be really mindful. Make sure you're looking at at, at the, the travel sites and, and Drive BC is a great resource as well. Uh, know before you go. And please, if you don't have to go somewhere, if you don't absolutely have to, if it's not essential, just stay put. Stay close to home and conserve the fuel and and leave the roadways for essential goods and services to be uh, moving about our province. Okay, let's get into our next conversation. And I know the phone lines are going to light up for this one. And we will be asking for your take on the announcement of sick days in our province. Five sick days will be provided by businesses for those who must stay home when sick. We are all being asked to stay home if we feel unwell. So the sick pay has been a big piece of the puzzle. On Wednesday, we found out the BCNDP's uh, plan. Um, businesses will be responsible for providing their employees with five days. And, and many in the labor movement were actually calling for 10 days. Uh, others wanted fewer days because it's just too much of a demand on small business owners who have already struggled through these last 20 months just to keep their doors open in some instances. So uh, we wanted to balance out the conversation. Yesterday, we did have uh, uh, Alex Hemingway on who said, yeah, this needs to be 10. He, he pointed to Germany and said they have 30. Um, and Greg Kylo, the BC Liberal Labour critic, uh, MLA uh, Shoe Swap, was uh, scheduled to be with us, but question period went long. So Greg had to cancel yesterday, so we rebooked him for right now. So joining me on the line is Greg Kylo. Thanks for doing this. Well, Jody, thank you very much for uh, being so accommodating. Happy to have you here. I want to just uh, reiterate so our listener can catch up a little bit. Um, this is Harry Baines, the Minister of Labour, uh, speaking to specifically the positives of sick days. Just to balance the conversation here, let's have a listen uh, to the Minister uh, saying how these days will help. The experience in other jurisdictions has shown many positive economic and social benefits of paid sick leave, such as increased productivity, higher retention and increased labour force participation, especially for women. Having paid sick leave is good for businesses, good for workers, and good for our communities. This announcement means BC will lead all other provinces. It is a step that will help our economy recover faster and help businesses retain more workers in a labor shortage environment. All right, uh, let's talk about the other side of that coin and how you see uh the the negatives p- perhaps associated with these um, mandated sick days. 
Sorry, Greg, are you there? Okay. Um, oh, there we go. Sorry, we, you were on mute. <laughs> we're having a Zoom problem. Can you start okay. again? How do you, how yeah, do you, absolutely. Uh, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think I'd start by just uh, reaffirming that, you know, no one should have to choose between going to work sick, sick or losing wages during the pandemic. So, you know, that's that's an understanding. Um, it's interesting when Minister Baines, you know, talks about uh, productivity, uh, what he fails to talk about is competitiveness. And it's certainly important to keep in mind, you know, the additional cost burden that's going to be put on the backs of already struggling small businesses. Look at everything from the wildfires and the floods and the impact of the pandemics had on small business. It's been extremely challenging. And uh, it's interesting, uh, Jody, that Premier Horgan made a strong commitment to British Columbians at the outset of the pandemic. And he confirmed that BC businesses would not be saddled with additional financial burden uh, during the pandemic. Well, just last week, a government announced that they're going to be extending the pan- pandemic uh, for the next 12 months. And yet here we are on Wednesday of this week. Uh, where government makes an announcement that's going to saddle BC businesses with an extra $500 million to a billion dollars of additional uh, cost. And so what the BC Liberals are asking for is that uh, there's, there's no question we should be providing these supports, but uh, government uh, should be looking to provide reimbursement for businesses uh, for those additional costs, especially during the pandemic. Can you give me an idea of what that would look like? Because I think that's some solid middle ground, I have to say. Like, if there is government funding for those small businesses that would find themselves unable to accommodate this. I was speaking with uh, George Affleck. We do a podcast together uh, and we were sort of breaking down what this means. And George is a small business owner. And he said, you know, if I have five employees and each of those employees needs five days uh, of, of paid sick leave, that's a month of my business, uh, you know, it, rather in limbo. So taking aside the people that would take those sick days and just consider them holiday days, because that's that's going to break this system. But for those small businesses, not the big businesses that have systems in place or, you know, uh, Keith Baldry has referenced numerous times, you know, in unions, it's not unusual to have five or more sick days built into your collective bargaining agreement. So how how can you find that balance? Because it can't just be like, okay, now the government's paying for everybody's sick leave because taxpayers can't afford that. Yeah, no, a very, very good points. And I think that, uh, you know, what really has brought this to the forefront was COVID. Uh, you know, if you might have a cold or a common cold or the sniffles and you go to work, you know, you're not uh, putting other workers at the same level of risk as you might be under a pandemic situation. So, you know, it's truly the pandemic that has really brought this to light. Um, and what government had done uh, as an interim measure, so the temporary uh, COVID sick pay program, which is available now through until December 31st, Government actually provides reimbursement for companies of up to $200 per day for a maximum of three days. Uh, that fund that was set aside, about $325 million, was a significant underspend that wasn't fully utilized. There's $310 million uh, that government has identified as being unspent. And what we have asked government to, at the very least, put those funds, make those funds available in the new year and carry on with the reimbursement program. Government had already anticipated the cost of setting aside those dollars to help small businesses during during the pandemic, and yet right. uh, they've basically decided uh, that they're going to be just returning those monies to general revenues. And you know, as we've talked about, businesses are really struggling. Uh, I've talked to many small businesses in the Shuswap area and around the province. 
Nobody is making record profits in the small business sector. People are hanging on by an absolute thread. Uh, John Horgan and the Minister of Labor, Harry Baines, they both actually committed, uh, you know, on the media record that uh, BC businesses would not suffer any additional financial burden uh, during the pandemic. And yet they have done exactly the opposite. Yet another broken promise by this government by announcing, you know, the permanent paid sick leave program uh, that comes into effect on January 1st. Uh, as we know, five days equals about 2% of your pay. Uh, it has the potential impact of costing businesses more than the employer health tax. Uh, and we know the employer health tax put about an extra $1.9 billion of additional new costs uh, on the backs of businesses. So, you know, I think uh, it's important for, you know, government and John Horgan to keep his word to small businesses and to reinstate the reimbursement program so that businesses that are already hanging on by an absolute thread, uh, that they're reimbursed and not having these additional financial pressures put upon them by government. Right, getting that promised support. We're with Greg Kylo, BC Liberal Labor Critic and MLA for uh, Shoe Swap. And you know what, Greg? It's it's we're going to open up the phone lines here for our listener. But I can I can tell you just from our conversations yesterday, and the phone lines did light up. If you want to line up there, six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight star ninety eight ninety eight is a free call on your cell. Let us know what you think uh, on this subject because yesterday there were so many calls and so little time we couldn't get to everybody. And and there was this real feeling of people definitely wanting to support their employees if they're if they're sick and and supporting them if they need that that time especially in this global pandemic to stay home if feeling at all unwell and yet um just being incapable of continuing to carry that load is there a way how is it being received i guess is my question when you uh do as the labor critic uh, come to the horgan government and say can you just at least keep the money allotted for this earmarked for these supports out of general revenue so that businesses can access them and then give businesses a way to access that how is it being received uh, from the ndp side yeah unfortunately i'd say they've just been very dismissive uh, you know, they're, they're moving forward with their agenda. They've got a majority. Uh, they're acting extremely arrogantly and do not seem to care. Um, you know, if we look at everything from the employer health tax to increases in the corporate tax rate, uh, significant increases in the minimum wage, all these things are, are, are valued. But we have to keep in mind the impact it's having on the competitiveness of B.C. businesses and businesses that are already hanging on by a thread. You know, is this just that one more additional cost pressure that actually causes a business to have to just throw up their hands and, and close their doors? And how is that helping anybody in the province uh, when they actually don't have a job to go to? Yeah, we feel like we're at a tipping point on a couple of fronts here. Greg, I really appreciate you taking the time out for us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Jody. Is that of what has been called Omicron, O-M-I-C-R-O-N? That is the South African variant's name now. In order to talk about this variant of concern that has been identified causing a great deal of news around the world right now, uh, we bring in our go-to, our microbiologist, uh, good friend of the program, specialty uh, really in studying emerging pathogens like COVID-19. He is the host of the Super Awesome Science Show. Jason Tetro joins me on the line. Hi, Jason. Hello there. We have so much to unpack. Omicron. How do we come to Omicron? 
Well, I mean, we know that the Greek variants or the variants were going to be given Greek names. So we had the alpha, the beta, the gamma. And then we had some of the variants of investigation, which never really took off. Um, and so we got to the point where we essentially had the choice of, uh, well, new. Uh, and, and the fact yeah. is, is that English knew, um, and then Greek knew just didn't seem to make sense. So they sort of skipped over that and went straight to uh, Omicron. Um, and so now what we are at is, um, a very interesting perspective because if you look at what Greek Omicron means, it means little O. And this is one of those few times where, this little O could actually make a big deal <laughs> because it pretty much has all the all the mutations that you would want in a really good performing um, you know variant or or coronavirus, except for one. And now it's going to be a battle to see whether or not this Omicron is going to have the ability to take over Delta. And nobody knows. It's it's just one of those things where it's better to be prepared now than to simply say, oh, well, you know, we got this. So everybody's been through so much over these last 20 months, certainly on a global mm-hmm. scale. Um, so let's unpack a little bit what is happening here, because the hysteria, literally hysteria on social media last night, people were like, end of days, this is, yeah. we might as well do you there is a path forward here. There must be a scientific path forward. Certainly, this is not the best case scenario. As Keith Baldry mentioned earlier when we were discussing Omicron and, and this variant in South Africa, that only 25% of people are vaccinated there. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, there's that COVAX piece of the puzzle where people just simply don't have access to vaccine. Um, mm-hmm. And really, what let's bring it back to how it might impact uh, BC specifically, a place where vaccination rates are very high. The big question here, I guess, Jason, is uh, what is the fear in terms of the impacts of this variant on fully vaccinated people? Is there a concern that the vaccine is just rendered, uh, you know, uh, irrelevant, doesn't help? We start from scratch again? No. And and the reason for that is um, we now know what the antibodies look like when you have the vaccine. And we can actually look at the structure of the virus, whatever variant it is, and start identifying how many of the antibodies are still going to work and how many antibodies may not work just as well. And sure enough, the antibodies that you get when you're vaccinated are going to be, for the most part, fine, very similar to what we see with Delta. So you are going to see a bit of a reduction in the efficacy or effectiveness. You are going to see some breakthrough. But if you happen to be uh, fully vaccinated with two doses, then there's a very low likelihood that even this is going to cause a problem. And then if you've got the booster on top of that, which, of course, everybody can now sign up for, um, then you're going to be able to make sure that uh, it's not going to really be a problem for you at all. The okay, reason that's great news. Becomes... I just want to reiterate. Can we reiterate oh, yeah. before we go into the reason why I got so crazy? The reiteration here is that severe illness, hospitalization, and death due to COVID-19 is significantly reduced, exponentially, if I may, reduced mm-hmm. by being fully immunized, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even infections is significantly reduced. I mean, we heard about some of the studies in, in Israel and Gibraltar and that. But when you look here in Canada, and also in the United States, our vaccination rate is effectiveness is still looking at around, you know, 95% effective or even higher, because the breakthrough is just so small. And as for the reason people have kind of gotten a little bit concerned, 
okay, really concerned? Really <laughs> about concerned, Jason. Omicron? Yeah, we can say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, is because when you look at it in comparison to the original lineage, it has 32 different mutations in the spike protein and then another 18 everywhere else. But the thing is that those 32 mutations are, for the most part, outside of the areas that the antibodies recognize if you have been vaccinated with the mRNA vaccines. Jody Vanson for Mike on this Friday. Glad to have you along here. We're talking about the variant of concern that has everybody really anxious as now there are some travel limitations being put in place to and from Southern Africa, uh, where this variant has been identified. In fact, Canada has banned visitors from Southern Africa after the discovery of Omicron is what it is called, Omicron, as we're working it into our COVID-19 vernacular. Jason Tetro, microbiologist, good friend of the program, is with us taking your calls now. 604-280-9898, star 9898 is a free call on your cell. This next uh, 10 minutes or so is going to be all about chatting with Jason. Rick in North Van, you are up first. What's your question? Welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm just curious if there's been any consideration of doing antibody testing on the kids before uh, offering them the vaccine to see if it's really required, both for the benefit of obtaining some good data and potentially getting more buy-in. Um, just curious if that's been considered or discussed. Mm -hmm. That's a really great question because we uh, British Columbia actually did that for the adult population, right? Um, where we looked at how many people had been infected and it was like a 0.8% infection rate. Um, so that's a really great idea. What we do know now is that even if you have had an infection, getting the vaccine is going to be able to help you fight off variants down the road, whether it be Delta or Omicron. So I think we really want to be focusing on trying to get as many kids vaccinated. And these antibody studies are going to be very useful, but maybe down the road. Does that answer your question, Rick? I hope. Sorry, there you are. Did that answer your question? Yeah, more or less. Thank you. Okay, cool. Thanks for that. Uh, let's go to Bruce in Delta. Bruce, what's your question for Jason Tetro? Good morning, and thanks for the good explanation you provided on Omicron. Uh, I'm 65, double vax astro, and you just said, oh, if you're RMA vaccinated, you should be good to go. But mm -hmm. what about, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't had my booster yet, so uh, what's the deal with astro? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And we knew right from the very beginning that the AstraZeneca, because it was a different type of delivery system, an adenovirus instead of a, a mRNA um, nucleocapsid, um, what we're doing is we're reducing the amount of effectiveness. And it was by about 10%. And so what we want to be able to do is make sure that we're bumping that up. Now, you're at 65 years of age, so you really should be considering getting the booster anyways. Um, and believe me, it's not just because of the age. There are other factors involved. But because you also have the AstraZeneca as your baseline, getting the mRNA is really going to help to what we call um, make it more robust. So in the meantime, just stick with the ABCs, airways, bubbles, and, and know your contacts. And then when you get the, uh, the booster uh, or, or the third shot, you know, 14 days later, you're going to be good to go. And going to the Get Vaccinated BC site, really easy to register. And 
when I did, I because I got the you know vaccine early enough with a shorter window in between. So being an essential caregiver for my dad in long term care, I was el- eligible earlier for this booster, and I signed up and got the text within a day and could have gotten mm-hmm. the booster on that day. So definitely go to the Get Vaccinated site. And if there are loved ones in your uh, family circle that are in the 5 to 11-year-old cohort, you can make everybody's appointment at the same time or on the same day and then all go at once at the same time. These are They're trying to streamline things to make it so that families can can do this and and ensure they get vaccinated as a group. Uh, Continuing down the line, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 for Jason Tetro. Norman Kamloops, you're up next. Welcome. Yes, good morning. Thanks very much. All right, this is a little bit of a different concept, but here we go. The responsibility of all the elected officials that are supposed to be looking after Canadian taxpayers, on all underlying taxpayers, is to to uh, protect at all costs, the welfare of the Canadian taxpayers. The taxpayers are what makes Canada go around. There should not be any discussion, any argument whatsoever if there's a vagrant out there somewhere and those people, whoever they may be, are coming in here via uh, South America or any other country that they fly to and then come to here. They should not be allowed. The priority should be the Canadian taxpayers. Keep them alive, otherwise this place is going to go to heck in a handbag real fast. That's their responsibility. That's what they're elected for. Period. Is there a question there for Jason? I think the question question. is already there. Yeah, that's actually the question. And and Norm, I totally hear what you're saying, right? And believe it or not, uh, back in 2018, when there was a measles outbreak in Madagascar, we actually issued warnings um, for people not to travel there and not to travel back because you may have gotten measles. So we have those in place. The, the move towards doing a ban has been only something we've looked at more recently. And remember something, whenever you go to the grocery store and you pick up something that says imported from, that means somebody came across our border from another country. Are you going to yeah. stop them as well? So that's what you have to really consider is it's not just for the wealth or the well-being of the, of, the, of the health of the taxpayer, but also the welfare of the taxpayer when you're doing these policy decisions. Jason, it is always such a pleasure to have your knowledge and your ability to explain in layman's terms, if you will, what is happening. And I hope we've calmed some nerves today with regard to Omicron, the new variant out of Southern Africa. I always appreciate your time. Thank you for doing this as always. Hey, no pleasure. Uh, My pleasure. Take care.